1: From Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network,
0: you're listening to the Sports Stove Podcast with your host, Vince Stover. <clears throat>
2: Sends one to right, Sutter indeed! Get up! Get up! Get out of here and go!
1: Welcome to today's Sports Stove Podcast. Today we have a special episode for you. We're starting off with an interview with former Green Bay Packer fullback John Kuhn. Had some technical difficulties, so we only got the first about 13 minutes of the interview recorded. And uh, then from there, it got shut down. So uh, so it'll kind of end abruptly. But uh, good conversation with John Kuhn. Sure appreciate him being on with us. I think you'll enjoy it. We talk about uh, Ben Roethlisberger, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, uh, Green Bay, Pittsburgh, New Orleans, the teams that he played with, and a little bit about his college career as well. Then after we're done with the John Kuhn interview, uh, me and my dad are going to go through and begin our Major League Baseball preview Today we are focusing on the American League East, so we'll give you a breakdown of each team in the American League East. We'll talk a little bit fantasy baseball as well as win totals there, uh, so that that follows the John Kuhn interview. We'll be me and Dad talking AL East, and we're going to continue that Major League Baseball preview here throughout the month of March and give you a division each episode, so make sure you stay tuned for that as well. The the episode today is brought to you by Blue Coolers, and we have a link in the podcast note for you to go to. It is almost camping season. The weather is warming up. Uh, fishing season's about to start as well. Sports and different things happening, and you need a dependable cooler. They have a 55-quart cooler at Blue Coolers. It's five-star rated. It's their best seller. Very affordable. Uh, as well as high quality, has a 10-day ice retention. That's right; it keeps ice good for 10 days. Uh, it has a five-year warranty as well. So a lot of good things happening at Blue Coolers, and uh, some call Blue Coolers the Yeti killer. And I tell you, for the price, it should kill off some of the other brands. So make sure you go to Blue Coolers. Use the link in the podcast notes to get your next coolers. We're also brought to you by Skull Candy, has some of the uh, top top rated headphones earbuds speakers all kinds of other things there so if you enjoy listening to podcasts or music or whatever it may be you need to get your next set of earbuds or headphones from skull candy we have a link for them also in the podcast notes make sure you go down to the podcast notes click on that link so they know we sent you and uh, get yourself another new set of earbuds all that being said let's get to the interview with john coon and then the american league uh, breakdown preview with my dad following that enjoy the episode Welcome into today's Sports Stove Podcast, brought to you by Skull Candy and Blue Coolers. Make sure you visit the audio notes and the podcast and follow those links to get your next set of headphones or coolers for the upcoming uh, camping season, fishing season, whatever you need it for. Today, we are joined by the two time Super Bowl champion, three time Pro Bowler, the one and only former Green Bay Packer, John Kuhn. John, thank you for being with us.
3: Absolutely, Vince. Uh, glad to be a part of it.
1: Well, I didn't realize you were a two-time Super Bowl winner <laughs> until right. I started
3: doing some research. Uh, first year in the league, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my rookie year uh, coming out of Shippensburg. Went to uh, went to Pittsburgh, thought I had a good chance uh, to stick around there, looking at their roster and, and kind of their makeup of their, their offensive philosophy and was lucky enough to be brought back to the practice squad midway through the season and then went on a nice little run with them. In fact, that was – Ironically, that was the first time a six seed had ever won a Super Bowl in the NFL, and then uh, the second time that happened was again in 2010 with the Packers. So, I have uh, I have one little claim to fame, and that's being uh, on two teams that have been six seeds to uh, to win Super Bowls.
1: <laughs> Talk a little bit about your uh, your undrafted coming out of Shippensburg. What's that process for an undrafted free agent? Um, did you get multiple calls, or what was kind of the the thought process going through that process?
3: Yeah, we did. Um, I believe it was the short list were the Ravens, the Giants, and the Steelers um, coming out. Talked to talked to a bunch of other teams um, throughout the process. Back then, Division Two had this big All Star game called the Cactus Bowl down in Texas, and played in that. Got really good exposure. Got to talk to all thirty two teams while I was down there. That's like the Division Two Combine. If you don't get an invitation to a Combine, that is the game for Division Two players to go down there and 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 kind of make a name for themselves to be seen. So that's where I kind of jumped on the scene for a lot of these these NFL teams and after I played in that uh I had a chance to you know go visit some places. I did visit New York. Um I I had some correspondence with the Packers, with the Eagles during uh that stretch there before Pro Day and uh and then I jumped on with Villanova for their Pro Day because Unfortunately, nobody showed up to our Shippensburg Pro Day, so had to find a way to sneak on to Villanova's Pro Day and, uh, and get a little more exposure for these teams.
1: At one time, it may still be true, you held 27 Shippensburg records, six conference records. Uh, in your college career, you rushed for 4,685 yards and 53 touchdowns Had 26 games of over 100 yards rushing. And so when you were coming into the NFL, was it always going to be fullback or was it kind of a mixture between running back, fullback, things like that?
3: Yes, I think my skill set, my physical size and my lack of, I'll call it elite speed, made it so that the fullback was the natural position for me. And Pittsburgh even told me that the first year when they released me, they said, John, you have more of a skill set that aligns with a halfback. Uh, just based off of your history and what you were able to do in college, we see you as more of a fullback. Unfortunately, now your skill set's not um, up to the level to be a halfback here in the NFL, and we see you as a fullback. But you're not playing to the ability of a fullback. That's why they released me my first year. Um, but I was I showed enough in camp that they felt comfortable bringing me back to the practice squad to be a development type guy going forward and. And that's what I took advantage from that first year was when I got back to the practice squad. Then, instead of having four or five weeks in training camp to learn how to play the true fullback position in the NFL, I had the remaining portion of the season, which turned out to be 10, 11 weeks, something to that nature, that I could really sink my teeth into trying to learn the position of fullback in the NFL. But I do think my past history of playing more of a halfback role. Um, coincided very well with what I was able to do in Green Bay, especially at the third down back position, being able to catch the ball and and uh, make some things happen with the ball in my hands in the open field. Um, not quite to the level of a halfback, but still a, a a reliable guy out of the backfield to be able to catch the ball. So it's funny how things work. It turned out that my halfback skills were something that I leaned on later in my career, but it was the learning curve of the fullback position that that took a while to catch on.
1: So when you were learning how to play fullback and be an NFL fullback, did you study different players um, and video players or was it just kind of just getting coached? Up?
3: Well, I, I was, I was blessed in the room that I was at in Pittsburgh. Dan Crowder was the the starting fullback, the guy ahead of me. He's a guy that I trained with regularly in the offseason. Our hometowns are close together, spent a lot of time with him, picked his brain. Um, didn't just have to learn how to play fullback between the lines. I had to learn how to, study as a fullback. I had to learn how to train as a fullback. I had to learn um, what things were necessary uh, to be successful before he even stepped on a practice field. And by spending day in and day out with him and and uh, and his just gracious personality to, to not feel threatened by me and just let me be a sponge next to him was, was monumental in my growth as a, as a young player. And I took everything that he did Um, off the field and on in the meeting rooms would uh, would constantly ask them questions. And he was one of the more respected fullbacks in the league at that time. So being able to learn with him side-by-side in the same room was invaluable for my growth early on. So in your, you played
1: for three teams in the NFL. You started with Pittsburgh, went to Green Bay, and then New Orleans. So that's Roethlisberger, Rodgers, and Breeze. (laughs) So how were those guys – alike, and how are they different?
3: Yeah, and uh, and I actually crossed over one year with Brett, so I was able to play with Brett hmm. Farmer one year as well in Green Bay, and uh, I, I'd say similarities go to they all have that that killer instinct, that drive to be great, the, the competitive edge, the competitive spirit to go out there and do uncanny things. I mean, as you look at Ben Roethlisberger early in his career, he was the guy that couldn't be taken down by two or three defensive linemen. He would break out of those because he was so big and strong, and extend plays and make things happen. Brett Favre they called the gunslinger because he wasn't ever afraid to throw a ball into any space. Aaron Rodgers is kind of the natural. He's just the guy that uh, between his brain and his arm, he's got a set of skills that and and gifts that that just cannot be stopped when they're when they're clicking and they're on the same page. And then Drew Brees to me is the ultimate uh, student of the game. He knows everything that's going to happen at any point in time. And, uh, and, and it's his mind really that that manipulates defenses and really makes him so great. So all of them really use that to be as competitive as can, as can be to be, uh, really an alpha at the quarterback position and, and the true leader, Uh, they were all true leaders on our offenses. So those are quick comparisons. I kind of gave you a list of, uh, you know, things that they were different. Uh, Drew wasn't breaking tackles from six linemen extending plays. He's throwing the ball on time. Uh, Brett was more of a gunslinger, wasn't afraid to throw anything into any type of space, no matter uh, the outcome, good or bad. Aaron's more calculated in his process, and he's very good at, at how he knows exactly where to go with the ball. That's why he has the highest touchdown to interception ratio in NFL history. So all really great quarterbacks, all in the Hall of Fame. When their, day, when their day comes, and truly a blessing to play with each and every one of them. So you're
1: running behind and blocking with offensive linemen uh, in the NFL. They're starting to get a little bit more, it seems like, publicity uh, more recently, uh, especially the tackles. But, but nonetheless, uh, what were some of the guys you played with um, in the blocking game that stood out to you that maybe not everybody else would have seen or noticed?
3: Well, I can remember early on in my career, uh, you know, the Jeff Hardings of the world, the Alan Fanicas of the world uh, there in Pittsburgh um, really, really showed me what a good offensive line is. Uh, uh, the communication, what it takes, um, the strength, um, the, the the gusto to go get it in the run game, but also have kind of the footwork and reliability in the pass game. And that transitioned very easily uh, into Green Bay where they've had a tremendous line for well over a decade. You're talking about guys like Josh Sitton, T.J. Lang, Scott Wells, Mark Talsher, Chad Clifton, um, David Bakhtiari, I mean, all Pro Bowl guys. Corey Lindsley now, Elton Jenkins now. So um, those guys, when you have a good line and you can bring young, talented linemen in the draft underneath them, it's easy to teach them, again, how to be good linemen. Um, So... I haven't just been blessed to play with good quarterbacks. I've been blessed to play with tremendous linemen throughout the course of my career as well. It showed with our offensive numbers, whether it was in Pittsburgh, Green Bay, or down in New Orleans, you know, with Teron Armstead and uh, and, and some of the Ryan Ramchick guys down there. It, it, it really shows. Offensive line is where the whole thing kind of starts. It's great to have skilled weapons and, and guys, but it, that offensive line is really what makes an offense.
1: So uh, you spent most of your time, of course, in Green Bay and next to Rodgers. how much does do guys from different positions help in the NFL help with, for instance, your position? You know, I mean, I assume Rogers was pointing out some things. I'm assuming the you know, line are helping with some things, other running backs, things like that. So the guys from other positions, how much impact do they have on helping you in your position?
3: Well, it, it's a team, right? So you got to work things all together and uh, having great wide receivers like Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, um, Greg Jennings, Randall Cobb, that helped in uh, in third down in the pass game because I, I knew uh, there was a time clock and I knew if I could block the guy for a certain period of time, these receivers were going to get open and Aaron Rodgers being a great quarterback was going to be able to find him. Uh, you, you talk about um, Jermichael Finley and, uh, and, and some of the other, Eddie Lacy, some of the other guys that fit in there, um, being able to have Jermichael Finley on the line, being able to control a defensive end in the run game knew that I meant I, I didn't have to look so much in his direction for help on the way through. Eddie Lacy uh, was a godsend. I, I said, I told Eddie early on in his career when he came to Green Bay, I said, you may have just extended my career five years because we're going to be able to run the football really well, power football now, and I'm going to get to show a side that I haven't been able to show for a couple years. So playing with great players makes other players even better. I, I, and I've always said that I believe Aaron Rodgers and playing with Aaron Rodgers has, has really helped elevate my game, my career. And I believe he's done that for all of the teammates that he's played with.
1: Um, how are the organizations different? Pittsburgh is known as a very patient organization. Um, you know, just a few head coaches along the way. Green Bay has its own unique, um, uh, aura about it, New Orleans, more recently, especially. So, how are those organizations? What did you see in them that were different, and uh, that kind of stood out to you, and while you were there?
3: You know, not a not not a whole lot of differences, right? Um, the Benson family has owned the Saints forever. Um, the Rooney family has owned um, the Steelers forever, and the Packers have, you know, never had an owner. So, because of that, very stable foundations, very uh, strong. Uh, structural with how they do things uh, and especially in the last 10, 20, 30 years, very stable at the head coach position uh, for all three franchises and and I think that makes them all a part of that echelon. in the NFL we used to say at the start of a football season you could always say there's about 10 to 12 teams that can win a Super Bowl going into the season. It's going to be the same five or six, the same cast of characters every year in that discussion with a sprinkle of a couple more up-and-comers but the Steelers, the Packers, the Saints, because of their strong ownership, uh, their strong foundation um, with how they do things, uh, general managers stick around, head coaches stick around, really good players, franchise players stick around. Because of that, we always knew that those three franchises, we always knew we had a chance to to make a deep run and, and possibly win a Super Bowl at all those places.
1: I believe you had 19 rushing touchdowns, nine receiving touchdowns, which gave you a lot of opportunities for the Lambo leap. Uh, first time you were going for the Lambo leap, was it scary?
3: <laughs> no, because you're a young pup in the NFL, and you can't <laughs> be stopped, and you're at the peak of your athletic uh, ability. And and I'll say this: I did do quite a few Lambo leaps. I've made the vast majority of them. There's one that I'm epically known for as a Lambo leap fail. And uh, a lot of people think it's because it was in a playoff game and I slipped on some ice, but truth be told, there was a cameraman there and he was trying to, there's a lot of things going on on the sideline of an NFL game. And one of which is all the media, whether it's reporters, um, whether it's television or whether it's those little sound microphones that are all over the place, trying to get that content for NFL games is, is, is huge. It's everything. So when you go to do a Lambo leap, everybody's rushing and moving out of the way and unfortunately for me, and fortunately for all the gift makers out there, uh, a wire did get over top of my right foot as I tried to jump and got taut. So I never even got an inch off the ground. And uh, I'm famously or infamously known for that Lambo Leap fail.
1: Welcome back to the Sports Stove Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the interview with... John Kuhn and uh, now I'm joined again by my dad Dale Stovers back with us and uh, dad we're gonna be talking some baseball today uh, spring training started beginning of the month and we're getting closer and closer well beginning of February I guess and we're getting closer and closer to the regular season and so we're gonna do a uh, baseball preview and uh, today we're starting with the American League East uh, but first dad how you doing?
2: Doing good, good. Are you excited for baseball season this year? Well, you know, we we will see. I keep up with baseball. I enjoy fantasy baseball. You got me into that, so that that kind of keeps me interested in it. You know, like I said, baseball's been really kind of strange for me ever since the the strike years and years ago. But then it gets your interest back. Um, you know, they're trying to get more young players uh, in it, and um, you know, we'll see. Of course, with COVID, it looks like things are relaxing some, um, potentially. So to be honest see how baseball reacts to that, they could be a real test market for, you know, a lot of people in the stadium and see how that goes, but I don't know what their plans are. So.
1: Yeah. Baseball has not been known for, uh, leading the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot of things, no. um, they really blew an opportunity last year. Um, they could have done stuff, played games earlier on than they did and uh they chose to kind of wait it out and ended up kind of getting left in the dust on that one opening day is april the 1st we're playing uh plan to play 162 games this season mm-hmm. and uh, we'll see how all that shakes out uh, i mean we've been doing fantasy baseball now for good night it's been a while hasn't it yeah yeah it has yeah I, you know as a kid you watch baseball and so i uh I did too, of course. And then, yeah, once the strike hit, we kind of didn't watch baseball for a long time. (laughs) And about the McGuire-Sosa stuff, when it started kicking back back up, was about the time we got back into it.
2: Yeah. No, that was true. And like I said, I I grew up um, listening to my – I had an uncle that lived with us that listened to ball games on the radio every night, uh, the Cardinal games. And uh, so I, I grew up a lot with baseball, baseball cards and all that. Uh, of course then you know we lived at, at the camp for many many years and I was kind of busy in the summer and so baseball I kind of didn't keep up with it until the fantasy league came back uh, into it so um, but yeah we it like I said there's some good players out there and to me baseball again it's you know it's always switch switch teams as much as anything you know um, with free agency and that that makes it tough for me because i I remember, you know, you think of a team, you think of a player, and he was there his whole career. Um, but you know, you, you know, Mr. Met, Mr. Red's guy. But now you don't have any of that, so um, it, th- th- that makes it different. But um, there's some exciting, exciting games
1: for sure. Um, the Cardinals thing is interesting because, you know, I was in Indiana for three years and everybody really liked the Cardinals. And so what's the deal? They, um, some of our listeners already know this, but back, back in the day, didn't, I guess St. Louis had a radio station that reached like pretty much the whole Midwest region.
2: Yeah. KMOX was one of the biggest AM stations. It's one that at night, you could pick it up just about anywhere. There were about three stations around. I think one in New Orleans, one in Boston, and one and KMOX. But and again, you know, I only lived a couple hours from St. Louis, but uh, no, it was big. Jack Buck was the guy there a lot, and um, and yeah. So I think St. Louis, the Cardinals, were real well known because again, you could pick their games up. Uh, that changed when Turner started his network, and the Braves were on TV all the time. Uh, And then that kind of changed the baseball on the radio thing.
1: Yeah, and uh, what WGN would have the Chicago games on there on TV as well. And then, you know, New York had their own station and kind of went from there. But all right, well, let's get right into it. Uh, We're previewing each episode here uh, over the next several episodes. We're going to be previewing a division in baseball and getting our thoughts on here. So, Dad, we're going to do the AL East today. Uh, we're going to kind of go team by team. And uh, I've got some stuff here. I've got the, uh, their key losses, key additions. I have written down their projected lineups and their rotation. We might not go through all those specifically. We'll talk about some fantasy guys on each team. And then we'll talk win totals as well. I don't know if you did any looking at that. Um, but I uh, we'll, OK, so we'll, uh, I've got the win, the numbers here, and we'll talk about that as well. So let's go in alphabetical order. We're starting with the Baltimore. Baltimore Orioles Uh, key losses. They lost first baseman, Renato Nunez shortstop, Jose Iglesias and starting pitcher, Alex Cobb Uh, only key addition that they have. And I don't know if you'd call it a key addition or not, but Freddie Galvis at shortstop uh, there, he's penciled in as the starting shortstop uh, here for Baltimore this year. Um, I'll go ahead and do their projected lineup. They got Austin Hayes, DJ Stewart, Anthony Santander, Trey Mancini, uh, Chance Cisco or Pedro Severino at catcher, Ryan Mountcastle, Freddie Galvis, Rio Ruiz, and Yomer Sanchez. Their uh, lineup, their starting pitchers, the rotation is John Means, Keegan Aiken, Dean Kremer, Jorge Lopez, and Bruce Zimmerman. All right, dad, Baltimore Orioles, um, At one point in life, they were decent, (laughs) but they have not been good for a while now. Uh, What are your thoughts on Baltimore coming into the season?
2: Well, you know, everything you read is that they'll be near the bottom. I mean, they're definitely, I guess, rebuilding. Uh, I don't know how their farm system is. I do know, you know, in recent years when you get a team that's on the bottom, you know, if a couple of their farm players come up and do well, depending on the rest of their division, um, you know, they can kind of surprise people and make a move. I don't know that Baltimore's ready uh, to do that. I mean, everything says that they'll be um, down near the bottom.
1: Yeah. Um, they. I mean, they've got some young talent, it appears. But, I mean, in Major League Baseball, typically young talent isn't what does the trick. So you're talking more about right. the rebuild. Baseball is so weird about how they do that. I mean, it seems like a, the team gets a really good player, And you would think you'd build around that really good player, but a lot of times they just trade them off uh, for somebody else and they rebuild. But that worked for the Astros. Uh, It worked somewhat for Tampa, but outside of that, it hasn't been uh, great. I'm looking right now to see uh, Farm Systems. I'm trying to find Baltimore on here. They are, come on. Where are they at? Number seven, uh, a farm system. So their farm system is pretty decent. Uh, according to this, this is from prospect1500.com. It says they have one of the most improved systems in the game. Uh, top level talent is potentially game changing. The depth should only continue to improve as they finally dive into the international market. Uh, that's according to Ryan James uh, from prospect1500.com. Uh, there, uh, let's talk what really people care about the most, unless you're a Baltimore fan, all you care about is fantasy baseball. So what are some names, uh, you found to keep an eye on in Baltimore? Uh, the
2: guy I kind of like is this Ryan Montcastle. Um, you know, he came on last year. He's real young, but he's quite a hitter, uh, could develop, you know, in recent years, a guy comes up, you know, you don't know when he ends up good last year, how will he pick up on that this year? But from a fantasy standpoint, he's a multi-position guy. And, um, and you know, he, he's a name that's kind of stuck out to me. I think I had him at the end of the year last year. And as I've read, it sounds like he's a guy there. Um, Santander, the outfielder, I think he has some potential uh, from there. Of course, Mancini is your biggest name uh, on there. And um, so, you know, it, it'll be interesting, you know, Sometimes you get a team, the team's not that good, but you can get a fantasy guy that really can do well. But it helps if he has a team around him most of the time, especially on the pitcher end of it. And I don't know if they have any pitchers that stand out, um, you know, from there. Yeah, like you said, Mancini's the main name that you know. I had
1: Santander for most of the year last year in our fantasy league. And uh, he did a lot of good stuff for me. I think when you're looking at a team like Baltimore, talking about fantasy value, you want to get guys in the top half of the lineup. Uh, Those guys in the bottom half aren't going to give you a ton of value just because they're not going to bat a whole lot (laughs) on a a bad team. Uh, So uh, yeah, Santander's a guy I've got my eye on. Not as an early round pick, obviously, later in the draft. Then uh, two of the pitchers, they got a lot of young pitching in Baltimore, but John Means and Keegan Aiken both uh, seem to be guys to keep an eye on as value picks later in fantasy drafts uh, in the pitching world as well. And it kind of depends on what you, you know, this is hard for us because we're in the same fantasy league. And then I don't know, I, th- I think we have a couple guys that listen to the podcast that are in our fantasy league too. So I know we don't want to give away secrets before <laughs> our draft at the end of the month. Um, but, you know, when you talk about pitching, it, it matters what you value. Uh, I mean, if you value strikeouts, if you value wins, if you value ERA, those are the kind of things that you got to look at for each individual player because what one person says, hey, this guy's a great fantasy pick, if it's not what you value, it doesn't matter anyhow. But Means and Aiken, both young, young, young pitchers, and if you're in like a dynasty league, uh, and even if you're in a deep keeper league, it might be worth looking at as potential for down the road, especially if Baltimore is going to continue to improve because of their depth. Uh, let's see here the uh, over under win total for Baltimore is set at 63 and a half games. So 162 game season, their over under win total 63 and a half games. Uh, yeah, I don't I've never paid a whole lot of attention to standings um, because most of my baseball fandom has come as fantasy um and i just keep track of of my team and that's about it where they are in the standings because i don't care what their win total is i just care if they're where they're at in the division but um, 63 and a half games is not a whole lot of games uh to win i guess what is that a third not even of the season yeah. um so i mean what do you think about that number 63 and a half do you think baltimore is a team that's going to win 64 games or are they going to be under that mark
2: um, I would say they'd be right around that mark. I mean, that's what it looks like again. Uh, I think, uh, you know, in baseball again, that uh, you, you do play division put teams a little more and, um, so, you know, they, they're going to be a, in a stronger division from there. So I would, I mean, everybody says it's in the 60 realm. Um, and that's what it looks like. looks like you get excited if a team's up in the eighties or over 85 and, um, Baltimore's not there, so. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I think
1: they could be a surprise team. I think they could be a decent team. Last year, I thought the Angels were going to be that team. I blame it on COVID. COVID did everything, but uh, they were not the team I thought they were going to be. Baltimore now with this young core, they got some hitters. They got some some decent pitchers, but they are in a tough division as we look at the rest of the division here in just a second. 63-and-a-half um, is obviously a fair number, and uh, I think I might even lean slightly over on that. Uh, Still in the 60s, maybe the 65, 66 range or something with that. All right, let's move on to the next one. The next one is the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Key losses for them, two outfielders, outfielders. um, Andrew Benintendi and Jackie Bradley Jr. We'll talk more about Bradley when we get to the NL Central. But um, key additions, they brought in outfielder Hunter Renfro, second baseman Kiki Hernandez, and starting pitcher Garrett Richards all guys that are slated in to be uh, starters and key contributors for the team. Their projected lineup is Alex Verdugo, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, J.D. Martinez, Christian Vasquez, Franco Cordero, Hunter Renfro, Bobby Dahlbeck, and Kiki Hernandez. The starting five rotation is Nathan Evaldi, Eduardo Rodriguez, Garrett Richards, Martin Perez, Nick Pavetta. That's until Chris Sale gets back in late April. Uh, right now is when they're planning on Chris Sale being back into the rotation. Uh, so let's start with the uh, Boston Red Sox. What are you seeing with them? What are your thoughts on them coming into the season?
2: Well, uh, again, as I read that a little bit about them, you know, people say they're they're kind of you know up and down. Not a lot of stability there. Of course, they brought back um, their manager and. Um, you know, again, they're in I, I I've always kind of liked the Red Sox. They've obviously got some good players when it comes to fantasy. Uh, you have some guys there that, that you know always do well, but um, you know, again, they're going to be in a division. You know, most everybody's got them slated fourth in the division. I don't know if they'll rise above that or not.
1: I, I can't say I ever knew that you liked the Red Sox at all. What, where did that come from?
2: Um, again, way back in the day, um, I remember one of the first world series. I remember I was not a Cardinal fan. Everybody would like the Cardinals back home. And, um, in 67, uh, the Red Sox were in the world series with them. The Cardinals didn't win that one, but I kind of, I kind of started to know a little bit about them and just know a few players from there. And again, like I said, I haven't kept up with baseball a lot, so I wouldn't say I'm a Red Sox fan. Fan, but it's not one of those teams I see and say, oh boy, I don't like them at all. So,
1: yeah, it's not the Yankees. So, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, why well, we should probably say this for our listeners, not just so they know, uh, kind of who is the main baseball team you cheer for? Uh,
2: the Giants, San Francisco right. Giants. My first um sports hero was Willie Mays. Uh, I still think he was the best baseball player all around that's ever played. And of course I remember McCovey and those guys. And so I've just kind of stuck with them. Um, and of course, you know, not too many years ago, they were, they won a couple world series. So that was kind of exciting. Uh, (laughs) but they had a good, really good manager then, which I think was probably the difference on that. And, um, but, um, yeah, the giants would be who, who I'd cheer for. And like you said, when I look at standings, I'd look to see where they're at. Um, you know, how far behind the Dodgers are they? And we we'll go from there. So <laughs> and I cheer for
1: the Brewers. That was a late in life decision by me. Um, that was a large part in due to that. They were the uh, uh, the triple A team in Nashville was the affiliate for the Brewers. About the time I was looking to get back into baseball. So anyway, so that's good for people to know kind of where our allegiances lie. But both of us are really more just sport fans nowadays, mm-hmm. with the exception of football, uh, just kind of enjoying certain players or different things like that uh boston they have the number 19th ranked um farm system and they've got the fourth overall pick in the upcoming draft as well so they have potential to uh, get a pretty top talent there uh in the system the pitching is interesting um uh well let me i'll let you talk first on the fantasy stuff uh for boston
2: Um, I mean, to me, the guy that jumps out is Devers. He's come along since he was, um, you know, came along kind of as a a rookie or as a young player. Looks like he's probably the strongest of the bunch. Um, Bogarts, you know, is good. Uh, He has some flexibility as far as positions is concerned. Um, You know, did a little bit of reading and, you know, it looks like their catcher has some potential, was rated uh, kind of high. Um, Martinez, of course, is a DH and um, a guy that they seemed high on. And again, you know, you and I in fantasy leagues never jump real quick on relief pitchers and closers, but it was, <laughs> apparently they've got a pretty good one there in Barnes.
1: Yeah, um, I, I go for the most part. I go with the philosophy of save the closers for the end of the draft and then just kind of move throughout the season changing whoever's the hot hand uh, unless the brewers have a hot, hot hand like Hader uh, Knievel back in the day as well. Um, but yeah, I typically stay away from closers as long as possible. Um, yeah. Martinez Bogarts are the, the, the stays Devers. I, I got burned by him one year. I don't go back to that. Well, uh, so, yeah. so I'm done with him. Um, and same with Vasquez last year, I got burned on Vasquez, but Uh, let's see here. Then there's a lot of people high on Alex Verdugo, the center Mm -hmm. fielder for Boston. He's, he's slated right now, predicted to be the leadoff batter. That's a good spot. Anytime you get a leadoff hitter, typically you can at least find some value somewhere, uh, in there. And then also I'm a fan of Eduardo Rodriguez. He's number two on the pitching list right now behind Evaldi. But, uh, again, it depends on what you value at pitcher, uh, in fantasy baseball, But uh, I've always found Rodriguez to be a guy not I wouldn't draft him, but he's a guy I keep my eye on and pick up if I have someone get hurt or something like that. And uh, he gets a lot of strikeouts or at least he has for me. The over under for Boston this year is slated at seventy nine and a half. So right below that 80 win mark, Um, you know, I look at this lineup. They got some guys there in Bogarts, Devers, Martinez, um, Renfro, even to some degree Uh, that lineup. Doesn't scare anybody though, I don't think. Pitching is okay. Uh, Garrett Richards' addition should be helped when Chris Sale, if he comes back healthy, obviously that's a big deal for Boston
2: yeah. uh,
1: there as well. But I mean, hovering at that 80 win mark, I think I'd probably go under on that one below that 79 and a half point.
2: Win. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that will be hard to get to 79.
1: Yeah, and I think if Baltimore improves at all, that's going to affect Boston (laughs) as well. those win totals. All right, the New York Yankees, uh, the key losses. They lost two starting pitchers in J.A. Happ and James Paxson. Uh, They bring in some guys that I'm not sure how much they're going to actually be playing. Let's say like J. Bruce, for instance, Derek Dietrich. Um, both right now fighting for spots on the on the roster. Dietrich actually is one that probably should stick. I don't know if he will or not. Uh, but they brought in some pitchers. They lost two, but they brought in Corey Kluber and Jamison Talion uh, from Pittsburgh as well. Their projected lineup goes DJ LeMahieu, Le- Le Aaron Judge, Aaron Hicks, Giancarlo Stanton, Luke Voigt, Gleybar Torres, Clint Frazier, Gio Ursula, and Gary Sanchez. That's a pretty stacked lineup. <laughs> Uh, yeah. right there. The pitching is stacked <laughs> exactly. as well. Garrett Cole, Corey Kluber, Jamison Talion, uh, Jordan Montgomery, Domingo German, or German, I forget how they say his name, uh, and then Luis Severino should be back come around June or July uh, as well into that pitching rotation. So uh, the ever-hated Yankees, I hate the Yankees. I'm assuming you do. I don't know if I've ever asked you that or not, but uh, what are your thoughts on the Yankees?
2: Uh, Yeah, I'm not necessarily a Yankee fan, not a team that I I can say I despise. Uh, I've got some good friends that are big Yankee fans and go, so that always makes me a little more partial, I guess. But, um, yeah, everything you read, they're they're stacked. They're definitely the team in this division, maybe one of the teams in baseball. Uh, Yankees, of course, have a history for going out and getting players. Of course, they've had some young guys um, develop you know, in the last couple of years, which wasn't always the case there. Um, and um, so, you know, Torres, I believe, would be that way, and several of them, of course, Aaron Judge. So um, they, they they definitely be the team to beat in that division, and um, depending on staying healthy. And, of course, again, how COVID affects everything. But ideally, um, with that lineup playing every day, they're going to be pretty hard to beat.
1: Yeah, and their farm system, according to Paul Wooden, uh, they have some pitchers in the farm system right now coming up, but you're talking about Garrett Cole, who's one of the best pitchers in the league, uh, Corey Kluber, who's had some really good seasons, Jameson Taylor which is has had some solid seasons in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, There's some talent there. The batting lineup is incredible uh, as well. Young talent, everything like that. They're over under win totals at 97, which is – uh, Eleven above any other team in the division. Uh, when you're getting close to that hundred win mark, that's projected, of course, just the the over under mark. But um, I mean, I don't think hitting 97 wins is going to be that difficult, pending health and all that stuff. Obviously, I mean, Garrett Cole goes down; that's going to affect <laughs> affect the win yeah. total for New York, obviously, as well.
2: Um, what about uh, fantasy wise? Well, obviously the names that we've mentioned are all, you know, big names there. Sanchez, of course, been good at catching, uh, as far as a catcher, which isn't always a main position in fantasy, but if you can get a really strong one, that's good. And I know he's done well for teams in our league, um, there. And of course, you know, judge, and of course we have a keeper league, so he's not going to be available anywhere. Um, but, um, Torres, of course, is good. You know, they, they have a lot of names that jump out. And like you said, they, they have a good team. And so, you know, even people later in the lineup, you know, has a, have a chance to have some good stats. So getting a Yankee or two, probably from a fantasy standpoint, is something most people look at.
1: Yeah, you know, the big thing has been health when it comes to Judge and Stanton the last couple seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stanton had one really down season, but when healthy last year. He looked decent again. Um, Glaber Torres. Do you have Torres in our league? No. No, okay. No, I don't. Uh, and then you've got uh, LeMay as well, who's one of the top second basemen. Luke Voigt, he's since to stick around in our league for a while. He's usually there to pick up if you want him during the season. People kind of pick him up and drop him as injuries happen, <laughs> and he kind of floats around. But he can provide some power numbers for you as well. Obviously, Garrett Cole um, is top pitcher, on there. There's definitely some value there uh, in those guys. They've got some relief pitchers too. I just don't like to talk about relief pitchers uh, at all. Uh, let's go on to Tampa. Tampa Bay is, uh, let's see, your key losses. They lose Hunter Renfro. And then two starting pitchers, Charlie Morton and Blake Snell, in the offseason. Key additions, they they bring in three pitchers in the offseason. Rich Hill, Chris Archer returns, and Michael Waka from uh, St. Louis also there. Their projected lineup is Austin Meadows, Brandon Lowe, Randy Rosarina, uh, G-Man Choi, uh, Manuel Margot, Joe Wendell, Willie Adams, Kevin Kiermaier, and Mike Zunino. The pitching rotation is Tyler Glass now, Rich Hill, Chris Archer, Ryan Yarbrough, and Michael Walker as well. What are your thoughts on Tampa? Uh, they were kind of the the down and out team not too long ago, but they keep sticking around, it seems like, each season.
2: Yeah, they really did. They were surprised last year. It looks like, um, again, you know, people are, are kind of high on them. On the other hand, you know, they could drop. It looks like they lost more than they gained on the pitchers. Uh, and that may, that, that may hurt them there. Cause I think that probably was a real help to them, um, on that, you know, again, not a lot of big names, um, there, but, uh, I don't know if they had a lot of big names last year when it started and, you know, they made a good run at it. So, um, I, I think they're kind of up in the air. Obviously I think the fact that they did so well last year makes you think, well, you know, don't know where they'll be this year.
1: Yeah, um, you know, Chris Archer, if, if he was back to what he was when he was in Tampa the first time, he was a great pitcher back then. Now, you know, he's just not the same guy he was back then. they got Ryan Yarbrough is pretty decent. Michael Walk has had some okay seasons. Rich Hill doesn't excite me. Glass now is, is good. Um, but, uh, you know, their over-under win total is at 86, which is second place in the division, uh, tied with Toronto, who we're looking at next. But, yeah, you look at this team, and there's nobody that that's superstar on this team for sure. But last year, a lot to do with their management. Uh, their manager did a great job of uh, being kind of um, in the front of things and how he does the lineups and how he does the pitching staff and that kind of stuff plays around with it a little bit. Uh, I'll let you go first on the fantasy stuff with Tampa. Any players that stand out to you?
2: People seem to be high on this outfielder or Rose Arena Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he would have real potential there. Uh, of course, low, uh, on the infield, um, Meadows is a guy that bounces around, you know, but, um, sometimes, you know, can be a help depending on a main guy you can count on. Um, their pitchers again, they're supposed to have a good relief pitcher and Anderson. And uh, of course you got glass now as a starting pitcher, um, you know probably is their ace coming into it so again not not a lot of big names that i could see on that things that jumped out at you uh, probably be a team that you take a chance on somebody and keep an eye on them early and you know they're going to have somebody that's going to have a couple a good year a couple players
1: yeah to me tampa is the value team as far as drafting guys in fantasy none of these guys are you going to want to take in the first few rounds but as the draft goes on, there's some guys to definitely watch. A Rose Arena, he had a great uh, season last season, came on late, uh, was kind of a, a highlight reel there late. So it will be interesting to see how that carries over to a full season. Uh, Brandon Lowe is a guy that I probably stay away from, but he has some fantasy value. Austin Meadows I've had on my team multiple times, and uh, he's kind of a guy that I'll I'll take later in a draft or something like that because he provides some decent numbers. Uh, first baseman G Man Choi. He's he's great as far as a um, social media follow, as far as entertaining. Uh, he was in Milwaukee for a little while and uh, ended up going down to Tampa. He's a power hitter. If he gets going, he can give you about two months solid stretch of home runs. Outside of that, he's not great to have on the fantasy team. But if a guy gets injured and you need a first baseman with some with some power, he's a guy uh there for you. Tampa Bay, according to prospects, 1500.com is rated as the number one farm system. According to Jake Wiener, he says, led by a consensus top prospect in baseball, the Rays farm system boasts a bevy of elite hitting and pitching talent, a harmonious blend of international scouting, consistent drafting, and high-end player development has continuously allowed the farm to produce players ready to contribute at the next level. So they've got guys uh, coming up uh, in the next year or two as well that could make kind of like Baltimore. You might, in two years, Baltimore and Tampa might be the teams to watch, depending on what happens with them. Uh, Let's move to Toronto. I don't have any key losses for them. They kept most of their roster intact. They did add outfielder George Springer and uh, closer Kirby Yates. I'll throw him in there, even though I don't like to talk about relief pitchers, but he's a big addition for them. Mm -hmm. Their projected lineup is George Springer, Marcus Simeon, Bo Bichette, uh, Teoscar Tio, Hernandez, Vlad Guerrero, Kevin uh, Vigio, Lourdes Gariel, Rowdy Tellez, or Randy Grichuk at the DH position, and then catcher Danny Jensen. Uh, pitching staff is, I never remember how to say this guy's name, Henjin Uh, I don't think that's right. But anyways, Robbie Ray, Nate Pearson, Tanner Roark, and Steven Matz. Uh, when I think of Toronto, the only highlight I think of Toronto was their World Series back in the day. Um, outside of that, I never think of great baseball in Toronto, and I know that's probably bad. But what are your thoughts on the Blue Jays? Uh,
2: well, again, you know, I think the reported on them is they have lots of potential. Um, I think it's kind of the opposite of Tampa, where there wasn't any names that jumped out. There's a lot more big names in Toronto especially when you look at the fantasy uh, part of it people that are you know more familiar or you ha- has a lot of potential um, to help there um, again, you know they, they seem pretty solid. again they didn't have any losses. so again, is it better to make a lot of moves and try to improve your team or you know if you got a pretty solid team um, stay with it and they've kind of stayed with it. so uh, you know to be interesting, interesting from there but they have some names and springer you know obviously could be a help to them to add to a pretty strong lineup already yeah they are incredibly
1: young and with guys like bichette and guerrero biggio um being the main guys hernandez in there of course as well that that brings up a pretty solid place they're listed as number four uh farm system and uh pretty much all their their main farm guys are currently on the team they've got two prospects austin martin and Jordan Groshans, that'll be up in the next year or two as well. Uh, but uh, this team, they've got their over-under win total at 86, just like Tampa, so second place in the division. I think Toronto is probably going to have as high as expectations of, of a second-tier team as anybody in Major League Baseball coming into this year because mm-hmm. they have the young, exciting talent. Everybody knows Vlad Guerrero. like Everybody's eyes are on him when he comes up to bat, but Bichette has been really good. Um, and Biggio has been all right. Hernandez has been really good in the outfield and they've got some pitching to go with it now as well. Uh, what about fantasy value uh, here with Toronto?
2: Well, obviously you guys have big names that you mentioned there with Guerrero and Bichette. Um, I kind of jumped on Biggio early and have stayed with him. <clears throat> it seems like he has a lot of potential. Again, he's a multi position guy and i always like to have a few of those that seems to help uh at different times so i think he's he's a good one from that standpoint um hernandez are pretty high on in the outfield um you know has potential there and um you know seem they're pretty solid on the infield and like you said we don't talk a lot about closers, but you know, it looked like Kirby Yates was was a real good addition there. And if you get a team that's good, then your closer can really help you. So,
1: yeah, and I don't know why I'm telling you my secrets, but uh, Nate Pearson, he's the number third in the rotation right now in Toronto, is a guy to watch as well. Late round value with Nate Pearson as a pitcher, um, he's a guy to, to keep an eye on. Robbie Ray, um, I'm not a huge Robbie Ray fan as far as fantasy value goes. But uh, Pearson, right behind him in the rotation, is kind of going to take, take that next step forward, I think, this year would be a guy to watch moving forward. Other than that, the main guys, uh, Guerrero, Bichette. Uh, you know, you've had Biggio. I'm not a huge Biggio guy either when it comes to fantasy. Um, and then George Springer's an interesting one. Last year, um, the Houston Astros, the, the guys that were cheating, they're they kind of took a pretty big dip on numbers last year um, without the the help of the buzzer and the trash cans and things like that so it's going to be interesting to watch those guys to see if they rebound guys like uh George Springer uh Altuve those kind of guys to see right. what kind of what kind of comeback they do getting out of Houston might be good uh for Springer and uh and we'll definitely see see where all that goes with him I believe I have him um I got to look at that. I don't remember if I do. I think I have him, but I don't remember if I do or not. I tried to make a trade for him last year. But anyways, uh, so they've got the Knicks with the Knicks, the Yankees with the most wins on the win totals at 97 Then Tampa and Toronto at 86, Boston at 79 and a half and Baltimore at 63 and a half.